That's such a great verse. I'm going to have you uh, quote it with me. So read it with me out loud so this gets into your mind. You get, the more times you hear it, the better. So say this with me. Not this one. Uh, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Again, the, the idea that the, the romance from heaven, the fact that the Lord would pursue us, and, and that, that there are those on earth who would say, I am my beloved, and I am his. And not every man, not every woman can say that. For some people, they don't even give a rip about this. And so for the natural man, this is considered foolishness. Uh, that which we worship and value, they would consider worthless. But the difference as we go into uh, the sermon this morning, we're looking at that theme that Paul had, and there, there's something that took place in Paul that I pray that would take place in you and me. If there's something radically different when you move from religion to relationship. And so Paul, as F.F. Bruce titled him, he was the apostle of the heart set free. And that little verse captures that little sentiment that I want you to understand uh, how, how important that pivotal verse is. And so, again, I would encourage you to memorize it. We're going into the context of uh, the, the, the chapter 2 of Galatians. And and because we have a wedding this afternoon, I'm going to keep it short. What I want to do is I'm going to introduce to you a seed thought. And that thought's going to be based on Galatians 2.20. And so as you think about your life as a Christian on earth, uh, I want you to think about what Paul thought about and say, this is applicable for me as well. But to get you into the, the spirit of what's going on in chapter 2, I'm going to just touch base and give you the, the panorama with the four points that I'm saying this is what Paul's having to deal with with a group of people. So we're going to look at the context, the contest, the content, and the convert of Paul. And to do so, you have to get back, and if you, if you want to get into a Bible study, that, that study that seems to be pretty bland and dry, kind of a informational session came alive for us Sunday night or Wednesday night as, as we open up the scriptures to see what the relationships were really like, that were, what was happening back there. And so often we, we live in the present that it takes a while to transport ourselves back to find the meaning, what was happening then, and then finding the value, that, how that applies today. Well, the context was this. Paul and Barnabas, as you know, had, had moved out of Jerusalem, and they start, there was a church up north uh, in Antioch where there was much uh, growth among the Gentiles and the Jews. Antioch was a metropolitan city. It was the third largest city in Rome. And there they were accommodating and accustomed to working with, buying, interacting with uh, Jewish, uh, with the Gentile people, Romans, in that metropolitan city, there was a lot of interactions. And so they, they, they knew how to relate 
to those in the world, so to speak. But uh, not Jerusalem. They were occupied and they, uh, by Roman uh, government, and yet they were more uh, Hebrew, Jewish in their orientation, and so they thought that we've got to keep distant and separated because this is Jerusalem, the holy city, and we wanted to make sure that those who are loyal to Christ would keep the temple, would study the Torah, would follow the dietary laws. They would be marked by the Jewish uh, rituals of circumcision and keeping the Sabbath. There are so many things. But if you came into touch with Gentiles, you were considered unclean. You'd have to go to the priest, and you'd have to go through some rituals to be allowed back in. And so one was very, very conservative, and the other was more liberal. And so in Antioch, the context is Paul and Barnabas were sent out from the Antioch church as the missionaries, going to the Gentiles, as you know, God called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And Peter was in Jerusalem being the apostle to the Jews. Well, the contest came when Peter went up to Antioch. Now, Peter knew, Peter knew because God had a dirty three sheets saying, you can eat anything you want to, Peter, and don't call these things unclean any longer. But that was a message about the Gentiles. Don't call what the Gentiles do unclean. Even though you thought that way before, you're free now to relate and eat with the Gentiles. And so no doubt in my mind, when Peter went up to Antioch, he had clam chowder. He had some seafood. He may have eaten shrimp or he had things he never had before. He had bacon. How could you resist bacon? Well, he, he was now allowed to, in his mind in one sense, to eat some Gentile delicacies that he couldn't do as a, as a person in Jerusalem. And therefore, he enjoyed a while of, of uh, fellowshipping at table. At table was the issue. Because to sit down at table was a symbol in the Jewish mind that you are friends, that you are welcome, that you are accepted. And the table, the meal at the table, meant everything was okay. Your relationships were right. If something was wrong in your relationship, you don't go to the temple. You make it right before you go to the temple so that you can sit at table and break bread together. Well, Peter was fine until a group of people from Jerusalem, maybe sent from James or doing it on their own, they kept hearing about Paul and Barnabas and saying it was about the Messiah, so you didn't have to go to the temple. You didn't have to keep the laws. You didn't have to do all the, uh, the circumcision rituals. And therefore, they're changing the message. And so a group, from Ante a group from Jerusalem went up. And as they came and they saw Peter mixing with the Gentiles, Peter got disturbed on the inside. He goes, oops, uh, uh, and he was torn, a bit wishy-washy, a bit confused in one sense. And so he pulled away from the Gentiles and he went and he ate with his Jewish brothers. Now that's the con context. And the contest was when Paul came up and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? And getting in his face, uh, 
Paul confronted him. Paul confronted Peter as he said, you are being a hypocrite. Publicly, Paul shamed Peter. Publicly, so much so was, you cannot do this, Peter. So much so was the influence of what people thought about Peter and what the, how strong that tradition that they had grown up with, how deeply embedded that was, that they were locked into their predispo, predisposed behavior. So Peter probably just did it automatically and didn't think that he was setting an example for the Jerusalem brothers and for the Gentile brothers. And therefore, there was a contest. Those who influenced Peter's behavior was the old school. And now Paul was being challenging, Paul was challenging Peter to a new way of thinking, not leading it back to Moses, but leading it back to Christ. Now the content, what, they, what Peter was saying was, you guys are second-class citizens. Until you, until you learn to do it the Jewish way, our customs, and you embrace the way we do it, what Peter was saying was, you have to do the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual expressions. Our spirituality is going to be the definition of your loyalty. And if you do it any other way, you will be questioned whether you are really faithful or really part of the children of God at all. And therefore, the message was, if you want to do this thing right, do it the Old Testament way. Let's go back to the law. And Paul almost lost it because Paul had gone the old way and he saw the old way led him to death. And therefore, Paul understood something as he met the resurrected Christ, that it was Christ was going to introduce a new spiritual reality. And that spiritual reality, spiritual reality was called the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God meant that that which ruled your heart wasn't the rituals, it was the relationship. And so meeting Christ as the resurrected Lord, that in and of itself was sufficient for Paul to radically change his life, to leave behind all those old things. The, the content that Paul would say is that this cross, this, this death, this resurrection, this Lord, this Messiah has now introduced into all ages a whole new spirituality. This is the new wineskin, and you can't put this wine in the old wineskin. So Peter was being challenged by Paul by being inconsistent when Paul was very single-minded. And so as Paul went through, Paul would say this sentence, and it was a sentence that would, would reek, would just shudder uh, of, of disloyalty to the Jerusalem people. But it shouted freedom. And you've got to hear this. When Paul says, I died to the law. I died to the law. You've got to be kidding. 
You're going to die? Well, what did that mean? Well, for, for Paul, it means that there comes a point when you understand your relationship with God is no longer going to, on your obedience, performance, on your, on your faithfulness, on your, on your obedience. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what he did. And the shift from being man-centered to being God-centered, Paul got. But what it meant when he said, it, it's over. I'm going to go. The law has reached its expiration date. I no longer... I'm going to go and move in light of the law. I moved out of that. I cut up the card. I threw it away. It's in the junkyard. It's dismantled. It's no longer worth trying to use it. I don't go there. I quit. This is radical. And if you heard, if you were from the Jerusalem, you go, what nutcase, what what has taken, Paul, what got into you? What got into Paul was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lifted him out of the chains of death and pressure to try to prove that he was worthy by keeping the law. And Paul says, I give up. It no longer, no longer is going to have this influence on me. And as you know the tension that's going on in Galatians, as quickly as they were leaving Christ, in Galatians, so quickly Paul left the old ways. I died to the law. Not only did he say, I died to the law, but he would also say, I have been crucified. I have been crucified. I died to myself. Powerful verses. What Paul understood, Peter was beginning to understand. And so as Peter, as, as Peter was listening to Paul, he was hearing in terminology that every Jew would understand about this crucifixion. We, we don't use that word today. We don't say, I crucified myself. But for them, crucifixion was a common, common occurrence. And, and so everywhere they went, they would know about crucifixion. There was a time when the Romans crucified so many Jewish people in front of the temple that they ran out of trees to crucify people. But it wasn't always a cross. Um, The the idea of of crucifixion comes from the word staros, which means any wooden pole, any, any tree that was crossed you could use to crucify somebody. And, and there would be poles that you'd have people carry the, the cross beam, and then they would set people on the pole, and then they would hang from the pole. They'd be tied down to crucifix. There were so many things, so many ways to crucify somebody. But what I didn't understand was it wasn't just the Romans. The Persians invented crucifixion. Back in Babylon, uh, Herodotus noted that Darius, the king, crucified 3,000 inhabitants. In the Appian Way, the Roman pathway was lit, torched, by uh, torching believers and then setting them on fire. Crucifixion was so common as as an execution method. So for Paul to say, 
I crucify, I have been crucified. Now notice this. He didn't crucify himself. It's a passive tense. Somebody did it to him. I have been crucified. Who crucified Paul? Who crucifies you and me? Who crucified him? Was the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit says, that if you want to believe in this Messiah, you want to give your life to Christ, and you want to follow him as a disciple, we do. And so you believe in Christ, you become born again, you become a child of the King. And we, we, we as Christians, we hear, give your life to Jesus. And we do. We, we believe that. And yet we don't understand, God doesn't want your life. He wants to take the life that you give and kill it. Because the life that you give is the fleshly, sinful, self-centered life that's only preoccupied with your needs and your wants and your desires to get God to do what you want him to do. And then somehow negotiate this relationship where you become a business relationship with God. I'll do this if you do that. And so, But how wrong that is in the mind of the Holy Spirit. How wrong, how far that is away from what the Father really feels. And so Paul would say, No, no, no. I have been crucified with Christ. What on earth does that mean? To be crucified with Christ. Captured in this verse, took place. Look at these points. When Paul says, it took place, it's past tense. I have been crucified. That's a D there. With Christ. Just to say, I've been crucified, misses the point. He starts the very process by introducing Christ the Messiah is the one he's identified with. This is the meaning of baptism. What Christ goes through, I go through. And my my life is now no longer wrapped up in the old traditions of of keeping the law and, and the Old Testament ways and the old order. I've been crucified. What happens when you're crucified? One, you're impaled. You don't move. You only face one direction, and that's the grave. And Paul says, I died to the law. I died to myself. I have been crucified. And therefore, the second point is, I no longer live. It's not about me any longer. I no longer walk as an independent agent on this rock trying to do that which is right. I no longer try to use my brains to figure out the best decision, the logic for success or self-improvement or whatever. It's, It's not about me. I have somebody else. It's as though there's a marriage taking place and that the two become one. The two become one. There's a spiritual soulmate that Paul understands. And as he does, he realizes, Paul gets it. It's Christ in me. Glory, hallelujah. Just think that that somehow the Lord of glory would come to you by name, in your person, and wanting a relationship to walk with you, to live with you, and to, to, to have a life. And that's what Paul understood, clearly understood. I am my beloved, and he is mine. You're going to substitute this love 
affair with some kind of religious ritual? No way, says Paul. But this life I now live, it's still the same body. It's still the same sinful, corrupt self-body. But God's spirit now comes in, and he does things inside. Boy, does he do things inside. And if anyone is in Christ, the old things pass away, and behold, all things are made new. Paul got that. And so he says, I no longer live by trying to establish my reputation, to figure it out, how do I get right with God? Because he did it for me. And I live by faith in the Messiah who came. And therefore, as I understand something I never understood under the law, that it's the love of God that sets me free. It's the love of God that liberates me. It's the love of God that penetrates me. It's the love of God that calls me out of me. Wow. And for the first time in the book of Roman or book of Galatians, Paul explains why Jesus did this. He did it because he's a God of passion. He loves me. Paul understood that. Paul got it. Jesus understood that too. And he says, if you're going to be a disciple, if anyone wants to come after me, you must deny himself. You must take up your cross and daily follow me. Crucifixion or self-denial or getting yourself out of the way, but to be crucified with Christ means you look to your friend, you look to your Savior, you look to your Lord, and let him walk with you. It's a connection point. It's, it's a join, joining through the baptism that when Christ went through that cross and went through that, that grave, he was resurrected. Likewise, we identify with that. We too identify with Christ. And so Christ not only becomes our hope, not only becomes our salvation, but he becomes everything. My life is Christ. And to die is gain. That's what Paul knew. That's why he had to fight against Peter. No, no, Paul. Look what you're throwing away. Look what you're running away from. Uh, Peter died of that. And so to, to fight that fight in that conflict is what's going on in Galatians 2. just want to sow that seed and ask you to think for you, what does it mean for you to think that I have been crucified with Christ? There are a lot of Christians who are crossless. There are a lot of Christians who don't crucify, who don't understand this. Whatever word you would use, I don't crucify, but you say, I no longer am living for myself. I'm living to please the one who gave himself utterly to me. Why would I not give myself utterly back to him? That's the issue, Galatians 2. If you don't believe that, Peter, then you nullify everything that I just said. And that grace you've thrown out the window, and Christ didn't need to come. You do it that way, you send that message to the Gentiles, you're going back into Egypt, back into the law, back into the death, and you'll never know the love of Christ. Believer, think about this, because this is the crux of the Christian life. For you and for me, let Paul disciple you and let the Spirit set your heart free.